the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. We're talking about the MBTA and the sense that something big is starting to happen at the Fiscal and Management Control Board, which oversees the Transit Authority. My name is Bruce Mole of Commonwealth, and I'm joined by Boston City Councilor Michelle Wu and Paul Regan, the Executive Director of the MBTA Advisory Board. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's start with last week's meeting of the Control Board. The big issue up for discussion was the fiscal 2020 budget of the Transit Authority and a fare increase designed to help balance its books. You two took very different positions on the fare increase. Paul, you were one of the few people, maybe the only one at the public meeting, who supported it. I was the only person, Can you explain why? Certainly. Um, The MBTA um, has basically been lurching from fiscal crisis to fiscal crisis since 2003. Uh, every year, they have to resort to some sort of gimmickry to uh, to balance the budget. And what I said at the control board meeting was I supported the increase in fares, but I also wanted them to use a subsidy that they get from the state every year of $127 million uh, to make noticeable improvements, especially in bus service, uh, so that people will answer the main complaint about fare increases, which is what am I getting for my extra money? So that was my position. And I I recall you also sort of saying you ticked off like five different things and said you've already spent that fare increase. That's true. And in fact, they've spent it. I I have a copy of their their actual budget proposal. They expect the fare increase to generate $29.3 million, and they spend $29.1 million of that in uh, a a small wage increase to their unionized employees. So between that and increase in in the cost of the commuter rail contract um, and an increase in cost in the ride, they've spent the entire uh, fare increase already. Now, Councillor Wu, you've been a little bit out there on this issue saying there shouldn't be any fare increase at all um, and even raised the prospect of doing away with fares. I think people have heard that. You've gotten that message out very well. Uh, But I've talked to you before. You raised this once before on on the podcast. Yeah. And I think, I just want to ask you, is it more to push the discussion in a certain direction that you're doing that? Or do you really believe that people shouldn't have to pay anything to to ride the T? We're at a point and level of urgency when it comes to climate change, when it comes to the congestion and traffic in the Commonwealth where we can't afford to take any action that will decrease public transit ridership. And, and to the contrary, we should be doing every possible thing we can to make it more attractive and easier without any barriers for people to use public transit. If we don't do that, our economy will be choked, Our, our we'll, we'll be past the point where we can recover from a climate perspective as well. So it was striking that a month after both the Commonwealth and the city released major reports highlighting the importance of expanding public transit to reaching our climate goals and, and other goals, that then there was a, another fare hike proposed, which the MBTA itself said would directly lead to a decline in ridership. In my mind, our problems are so big that we have to really focus on the underlying challenge Uh, which is that we should be investing in people's mobility as a step to fight climate change and a step to increase economic activity 
to, to get rid of our uh, address income inequality, address racial disparities, just as we invest in public education, public parks, free books at public libraries, because everyone benefits when we do so. Everyone would benefit if there were no barriers to people being able to get around and get to their jobs and access public transportation. That sounds great, uh, but at the same time, it sounds a little Pollyannish, if you will. Uh, let's do away with fares. And I feel like most people, including the people at the TU on the control board, never really seriously considered, that's my view of things, never really seriously considered that. But the proposal itself, I got to give you a lot of credit, seemed to move to me to move the debate uh, further in it, in maybe not to that point, but in that direction. Um, several members of the control board started, started talking about, well, you know, when we raise fares, then there should be, we should be raising other money and the money should be going to the T. Pretty radical for this group that always tries to huddle and stay united in whatever they do. Suddenly at this meeting last Monday, they were all over the place. Uh, and that was the one area where the chairman, Joe Aiolo, tried to get some unity that they are going to start going to the legislature and advocating for more revenues, uh, for more specifically congestion pricing is one option, more fees on uh, ride-hailing apps, and an increase in the gas tax. Those are the three that they mentioned. Um, and I guess I, I just still want to press you. Were you trying to were you trying to push them in that direction? And if they didn't come Absolutely. along, because I noticed you have a, a free bus line fare yep. that you're talking about now. So you have fallback positions from what you're but do you see yourself as pushing that debate? It's important that we're talking about the right goal ultimately. Even if that goal won't happen tomorrow, even if it won't happen next year, even if it takes 50 years from now, which is what, you know, kind of the time scale that we're, that we're talking about for a lot of this climate planning. But when we focus on merely the budget and the numbers in front of us year to year, it gets it's easy to, to be stuck in a conversation about, do we do a 6% fare hike or a 3% or can we exempt this or that group? Rather than saying, we need to get here in terms of fully available and accessible, affordable public transportation. What can we do now to move closer? If you notice um, the petition on behalf of thousands of riders, um, 3,200 of, of whom signed the petition, didn't explicitly say fare free tea tomorrow. That was not the ask of the, the board last week. The ask was stop the fare hikes, but also commit to a low income fare with the rollout of AFC 2.0, the new fare collection technology set to take place in two years commit to um, fare capping, a, a mechanism that would allow people not to pay for their monthly pass up front, but accumulate uh, sort of ride by ride. Once they hit that threshold, it would be free afterwards, which changes the incentives. Um, and then work make the student and senior passes free today, uh, or July 1st, as soon as possible, and also designate certain bus lines that run through economic opportunity corridors with a large percentage of riders who are low income, designate those as fare-free uh, options. So I know you issued a statement after, after their vote in favor of the fare increase that you were disappointed. But are you really disappointed? Because you seem, again, you sort of seem like you may have lost that skirmish, but they're moving in a direction that could have big ramifications for transportation, you know, pushing for more, the legislature for more revenues. No, no guarantees it'll happen. But they've come out of this shell of not even talking about revenues. Do you take some pleasure in that? You, you see some victory in that? 
it feels like we're in a different place and a different energy now than before this last public process. And it certainly wasn't me. Uh, there was a whole coalition of advocacy organizations, leaders, um, activists, other elected officials, many, many people who reflect, I think, the vast majority of riders and people who wish they could ride if it were more affordable to say, we're in it for the long haul. So certainly, you know, there was a, a, sm a sliver of a chance that the, the board would retract the proposal, but I think most people thought that by the time it got out there publicly, it was likely going to go through in, in some shape or form. Uh, but the larger point is that now we have demonstrated such momentum and such public attention on the need to get to a place where we're talking about the big picture fixes for the system. Paul, I wanted to talk to you as that meeting went on. Now, I'm one of the few that often sits through all these meetings, but I was sort of shocked at this group that is pretty patient about the progress of the tea, and they spend three out of four weeks every month there on, on Mondays. They're, they're there for a long time. And it just seemed like frustration started to boil over. Um, you had one member saying, I don't believe these own source revenue numbers. And mm -hmm. that, by that, I mean real estate and parking. And they were talking about the budget. I don't believe your numbers on yeah. that. Uh, then another person said, the paratransit service, let's blow it up and start over. And this was a guy who has been experimenting, Brian Shortsleeve, yep. with blowing it up and starting it over already. Yep. And then you have Monica Tibbetts not just pulling a nutty about the condition of the tea and just saying things are disgusting and there's nothing that you see that's improving. It was like something changed at that meeting. What, what did you see? I thought the same thing. Um, I've been covering the MBTA board meetings for decades, at this, which is a tr my own personal tragedy. But <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, in all those times, I've never really seen them lose a vote. This meeting was different. This meeting was the, the members of the FMCB getting up on their hind legs and saying, enough. You know, they, they all work very hard, very, very hard. They're not only are they there for almost all of Monday, many of them are there throughout the week at meetings, uh, at night meetings, going to the fair hearings, all of that. And they're not afraid to take a hard vote. It's not like they were worried about controversy, but they, they seem to finally run out of patience at the lack of progress. You know, um, they've done a lot of good work. Uh, the... Uh, the advisory board, as well as the Chamber of Commerce and uh, CLF, had just issued a report about their strategic plan, that's a capital plan. So they've made a lot of progress. But I think what you heard and what the people in the audience heard was a lack of, of conviction that anybody can see the progress that they're making, that it's invisible to the typical rider. And they don't want it to be invisible anymore. They want it to be, they want people to have faith that the FMCB is working hard to make their commute better and they don't see the evidence of it. And that's what I think the source of the frustration was. And it came at, on the same day that they were discussing this fare increase, which seemed to just, they carried person after, you were the first one, Councillor Wood, sort of saying, no, 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 no. And Paul, you were the only one that said yes, but it was, I think they're just sort of tired of getting their heads kicked in. Um, and you did it in a very pleasant way, but they were getting their heads kicked in about raising fares. Does this make any sense? And I, I sort of felt like, I don't know what you two think, but I sort of felt like they had to agree with you a little bit and were doing it because perhaps the guy that appointed them, 
believes in regular, small increases in fares. You think so? Well, hundreds of people came out to the various public meetings when, when the, the um, FMCB or the, the group hosted their kind of sub-meeting in Boston on the Wednesday night, uh, a week or two before the actual vote. We had, it was several dozen people testifying, all from a very, from extremely persuasive personal experience, Say, all people who believe in the tea, who ride the tea, who wanted to succeed and value it so much, but are just tired of not seeing improvements, as Paul was saying, but also tired of how much of a, how hypocritical it feels that as a commonwealth and as a city, we keep talking about all our, you know, our, our climate change goals and we're making progress. And this most basic fundamental piece of it, changing, giving people alternatives to fossil fuel uh, cars, isn't, isn't, we're not showing any plan even that seems believable as to when we will get to the point where where that shift is possible. It's worse than that, actually, because, you know, with the exception of commuter rail, which grew ridership, regular rail, heavy rail, bus, and light rail all lost ridership. And I think that, I think that frankly, the FMCB shares that goal and wants to see uh, not just a roadmap, but an implement implementable plan to get to uh, the climate, you know, the kind of climate change goals that we need to have to, you know, keep Boston above water. Right. But, um, you know, the the thing is, I th I think that if we can't show improvement, if we can't like drastically increase the total number of buses available, the ride, the the, the on time performance, you know, crowding, if we can't get those things, we'll continue to lose market share to uh, to Lyft and Uber. Uh, and uh, and with a resulting impact on congestion that's unsustainable for the city. And there has been no commitment or or even clarity on how that might happen. And in fact, the morning after the um, public meeting that was in the e the Wednesday evening uh, public meeting just on the fair proposal, the city council hosted a, a hearing on the Better Bus Program, mm -hmm. which was a series of proposals that the T has put forward. Bus service so critical, particularly for low-income commuters and for riders of color. However, even the proposals put forth were just about trying to snatch up little efficiencies here. Here we can straighten up a route or we can con combine these two, save a little time, space these stops apart a little further to move things along faster. And everyone kept asking, when are we going to have more frequent service? When can we depend on the bus to come more than once an hour? And, and there was, they, they said, we don't have the revenue for that. And you were saying and earlier, I mean, that was what Monica Tibbetts-Nott was saying at the meeting. Um, a couple of weeks before that, they had done a presentation on the Better Bus Program about approving off-peak service. And, you know, they looked at the cost of that, the additional drivers necessary. But at Monday's meeting, Monica kept saying over and over again, yeah, we could do that, but what about rush hour? What about, you know, improvements on a time when everybody's on the system, where the, the vast majority of people are using this to get home or go to work? Well, I'm going to take a quick little detour here because the mayor weighed in also last week with some proposals, many of which he borrowed, seemed to borrow from you. Uh, but... I was curious, were though, I think you generally, on Twitter, I saw positive comments, by and large, but it seems sort of timid, because a lot of the bus problem, as you're well aware, is a MBTA and municipality problem, and the city's moving pretty slowly with these dedicated bus lanes that would 
theoretically dramatically improved service. So I was just curious, is the city, where you have some role, is it moving too slowly? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, there, are, there have been many advocates and residents and riders asking for improvements for a long time. And so I, I'm glad that um, there's been the, more of a public outcry to amplify the need for that it, it, this last go-round. It is great, great news that the mayor and the administration are expanding BPS student access to um, M M7 passes, where there had previously been kind of a geographic cutoff, where if you lived within two miles of the school, you would not you were considered in the quote unquote walk zone, and therefore would not get a pass. That led to tremendous inequities between students and everybody, kind of tapping each other in and unable to get to activities or internships. And so that has now, the city's committed to giving every 7th through 12, 12th grade student the M7 pass, which was a, a major finding that uh, my office had been working on and, and many others before us. That is still only about the school, um, school months during the school year, so we have more to do. Um, and then the other pieces on the dedicated bus lanes, I live right at the end of the um, Washington, St Washington Street corridor that the, the dedicated bus lane, the, the single dedicated bus lane that we've implemented in the last year um, travels along. And it, is, it has been life-changing for my neighbors and me. Uh, sometimes 25, 30-minute commute down that mile and a quarter of Washington Street now, six minutes, seven minutes in the morning. Um, we need to do more. This would it would transform so many lives, and and the city now has more staffing. There's more capability, but we do need to speed this up. All right. So now let's talk a little back to the T and a little bit about the future, because one of the things that the last two weeks at these meetings has come out, they've started to say go beyond their own little uh, purview, if you will, the T and what they can do there, and they've started saying we need to do more as a state. And uh, how, do, how do we speak out about this? And um, so it started with one member and then grew to two. And I, last week, I sort of sensed that four were all on board. But they're all going to do a craft and a letter. I don't know how this will work. But they're talking about, and the, and the legislature seems receptive to doing something. No one said anything specific. But so these three things, raising gas tax, uh, congestion fees, ride-hailing apps, everybody says, all the leaders are saying, everything's on the table. Uh, and I actually think the control board could be a very powerful force because they've been watching this very closely. And if they start to say, and they've been appointed by the governor, if they start to say, we need more revenues and the other forms of transportation need to be facing the same increases that the T is, that could be powerful. What do you two think? Paul, what do you what do you think is likely to happen now? Um, I think that I think this is a, a good opportunity. I mean, I, I'm a little more pessimistic than you are because I've seen these opportunities come and go. But um, it's important to realize the scale of investment that the MBTA needs. You know, um, a couple of a couple of pennies on the on a ride hailing app is not going to get the job done. I mean, what I had suggested Monday was that they put $127 million on the table. That's not the ideal number. That's the, that's the number they had. I think that uh, to make a significant impact on bus service especially, you know, that number would be closer to like 150 and it would include uh, expanding the bus fleet. We're the 
we're the eighth largest bus fleet and the fifth largest bus ridership. So that speaks a lot to the crowding on the buses, to uh, bus bunching, um, you know, dwell times, all of those kinds of things. And they can be, they can be handled, but, they can, but it just takes cash. This is a labor-intensive industry, and there's really no way around that. You know, every bus has a driver, has a fueler. There are uh, people who repair them, people who dispatch them and start them. Um, a lot of that money is not capital money. It's going to be operating budget money that we're going to have to pay year after year. So this is significant money to see the kind of improvements we need to see. Um, people are voting with their feet. They're on these buses. We've got to keep them on these buses and then prepare the system to expand to serve more people. So the three options that the control board officials have thrown, do you like them all? Do you like one of them? What I like, well, I, I think that uh, giving the, the T and maybe even the regional transit authorities a piece of the gas tax is fair. Um, the, the gas Of those three things, the gas tax is the only one that I think can generate the kind of money to have that kind of impact. Um, regional transit authorities have been basically level funded for a decade, so they can you know, they could certainly stand to see uh, their money increased. They, they look for ways to partner with the MBTA because, uh, you know, uh, we, we talk about how getting away from the, from the spokes and hub model, but it still exists. There are still people who've made their choices about where they work and where they live based on that model, so we still have to support it. Uh, and we need the capacity to, to continue to support that while we look at other options. Right now, we need operating cash for the T, and I think that could come from the gas tax especially. And the, you mentioned people are voting with their feet, but to be honest, they're voting with their feet and leaving buses uh, quite a bit and probably getting on Uber and Lyft. Do you think their fees, the fees should go up, even if it doesn't solve the T's problem? Mm. Do you think these other forms of transportation need to bear the cost of what's going on here. The T doesn't exist in a vacuum. This is a, a major congestion problem for the city of Boston and for Cambridge and Somerville as well. But I think it has a, a disproportionate impact in Boston. I think that uh, those kinds of revenues, um, you know, we talk about uh, expanding bus lanes and, and putting the infrastructure in to make buses um, move, operate more smoothly in, a, in an urban setting. Well. All of, those, uh, all of those belong to the city of Boston. They need a revenue stream to, to implement uh, those kinds of things. If, if, if the Uber and Lyft fee uh, can, can provide that revenue stream to the city of Boston and to other cities so that they can accommodate faster flow in buses, that would be great. Councilor, what's your take? Uh, you're, you're a politician, so you know how these things can sort of play out, hopefully, a little bit. What do, you, what do you envision happening? Because they're starting to reach out to the legislature, it sounds like. They're going to make some try at it. Keep in mind, we haven't really talked about it. The governor is probably pretty much opposed to all this off-script uh, maneuvering they're doing. What do you think, what do you sense is going to happen? We need more than just T-riders and those who represent T-riders to be asking for these things. We, what we really need is a cultural shift to acknowledge that it's better for everyone, including drivers, anyone in the system, when the costs of taking an action line up with the impact of that action on others, right? So that we're hopefully making it more affordable and more accessible to ride the T and more expensive to drive, not just because we need to find revenues from somewhere, but because that matches with the cost of, you know, 
dealing with the emissions and the traffic and the pollution, the health consequences, the maintenance of the roads, et cetera. I don't think we're quite there yet. It often, it, the political conversation still feels like a, why should drivers bear the burden for this or that? Uh, we, we need to get to a point. And part of this is leadership, what, however defined elected leadership, a community leadership, setting the vision that we're all in this together and we need to be reaching much further. So we need to do all of the changes that Paul had just talked about with bus service, but that's not even... The be- that's the beginning of where we need to go. I mean, we have to. We haven't even talked today about electrification of, of trains, of regional rail, and making sure we're really providing transit access across the Commonwealth. There, this is a very expensive um, proposition, but one that is worth it because the cost of doing nothing, the cost of keeping our current system constrained how it is. Um, is going to be borne by future generations later, and it'll be much more expensive than what we could invest now. Um, yeah, I'm, I sort of straight, stayed away from all the individual projects because right now it seems one of those rare times where we're not focused on this little thing or that little thing. We're talking big picture here. And I guess, so I thought it was pretty interesting that the speaker, who is usually not talking taxes very much, is saying everything is on the table, including taxes, the Senate president is saying the same thing. The governor's own control board is going to start rumbling. We don't know what the exact message will be, but at least two of them are very adamant that we need to take a broad picture of new revenues. That's new. That's something that hasn't occurred under Charlie Baker yet, I don't think. He's sort of, they've done, kept within his lines. So the three that they've mentioned, which ones do you like? Do you like them all? Do you? I think all are important, and we would need to move forward with all of them to get to the level where we're talking about significant changes. The key, I think the the key question, though, is whether there can be guarantees or um, direct ties between the revenue that will be brought in from those sources and improvements in transportation, right? So it's not fair if we sell it to someone who can only get to work within a, someone who has little flexibility in their schedule needs to drive and we're saying we're making it more expensive for you even though you have no choice but we're not giving you another feasible alternative to driving we need to be able to both make it more expensive but then guarantee that there will be an easier more accessible way um, other than driving that that there will be that public transportation alternative that's a pretty high barrier you're setting there it seems to me um because they're using the roads, and gas tax is relatively low in Massachusetts. Uh, these fees that the right-handling apps are, per, are pretty low, don't they? Shouldn't they be paying more using all these public roads? No, absolutely. So I'm I'm sorry if that was unclear. I think absolutely all three of those should move forward, but there need to be some guarantees of what level of investment will then be tied to public transportation. So just increasing those on their own for it to go into the pot of state funding oh, right. doesn't mean that we're actually improving people's transportation options. We might be punishing drivers then, but um, those who will bear the brunt of that will still be those who have the least flexibility and, and um, can, can find other ways to get around. So it has to be tied directly into improving transit. And Boston's not going to be the first city that looks hard at congestion pricing. Um, Boston's not going to be the first city that, that had to um, figure out how to fairly and equitably distribute the, the fees that they collect. Um, I think that for us, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of saying, you know, congestion is a bad thing and we're going to work really hard 
to, to make it go away. It's easy to say we're in the most congested, you know, <laughs> city in the country, allegedly. Um, certainly seems that way. But the, um, the bottom line is that, you know, the overarching philosophy of this you know, you're right. I, I do tend to sort of focus on how are we going to get through this fiscal year. It makes a lot of sense to sort of step back and say, well, why are we doing this at all? You know, why do we have a public transportation system and what do we want it to be? And how many people, what percentage of people do we want of everybody moving to work? Right now, it's, it's not particularly high. Um, if you, there's been recent uh, journey to work surveys done by uh, the central transportation planning staff, and you know we don't necessarily compare favorably with uh, with other parts of the country that have a higher share of uh, of ridership on their transit system. Even though we have a great transit system, I mean, for all of its faults, we've got every mode. Uh, it's it's in fairly good shape, especially the commuter rail, um, and uh, the parts that are are suffering now. You know, you can make a reasonable argument that in five years they'll be uh, in pretty much uh, an efficient, modern state of good repair. Um, all right, we've we can accomplish that in five years. Then what do we say? What are we doing about congestion? What are we doing about climate change? How do we use the MBTA as a tool to further those goals? So, so it seems like. I endorse that 100%. Yeah. <laughs> High five, Paul. Yeah, it seemed like you started off at different <laughs> viewpoints on the fare increase, but you're in the, in the long run, you're, you're on the same page. And I, I think there was more um, commonality in the beginning. Anyway, most of the people testifying in opposition to the fare increase still believe that the team needed more funding. But the, I think the disagreement was that um, many, many of us who were riders, uh, but those who opposed the fare hike, didn't believe that this was the best way to also keep improving access to the T and thought that the funding should come from somewhere else that was more equally shared and more efficient to, uh, to other goals. I think I totally understand where Paul and, and board members are coming from, that the FMCB can't make decisions about congestion pricing. I think if some of them had hmm. control over those three other things, they they might have acted differently. So they're they're operating in their little sphere and some of us were hoping they would make, you know, take a stand and make a statement that would pressure other actors to, to move on those three. But the reality is that they, they don't have direct influence over that. But they, we will be there advocating with them um, to the State House too. Well, I want to thank both of you for joining us this week. Thank you, Councillor Wu. Thank you. And thank you, Paul Regan. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next week on the podcast. <laughs>